Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Carla Cato. I discovered Carla through a YouTube video 14 years ago. This was before Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter ever existed. And honestly, I've been stalking her on social media ever since. This video on YouTube ended up with 1.2 million views. And it was about the birth of her daughter, Ava, and her story. I remember seeing this video, and it just immediately affected me really deeply. Uh, Today's the first time that Carla and I have actually ever spoken to each other. So thank you so much for sharing your story and being willing to do this, Carla. Oh, that's um, that's quite the introduction. Thank you, Carly. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's an honor to be here. It truly is. So I wanted to start really at the beginning of your story and kind of dive into your love story between you and your husband. Because I think you guys, from everything I've seen on social media, you have a really beautiful love story. <laughs> um, well, we met the summer I was 13 years old. Um, and if someone would have told me then that I would have been married to this man 27 years later, I would have died laughing. Really? Um, like, he said he loved me at first sight, but that's where, like, the fairy tale kind of ended because those feelings were totally not reciprocated. <laughs> um, but the thing. We, we quickly became, like, amazing friends and went on to build several years of, like, friendship before even starting to date. So I think that's what truly laid, like, the solid roots of our relationship to this day. You know? Sure, yeah. Um, there's just, like, this level of, understanding and acceptance for each other and he's had my back every step of the way and we've grown and changed a lot together over the years but um we've never grown apart you know always alongside each other and it's not 100 percent perfect all the time but you know at risk of kind of sudden cheesy i think that's true love you know absolutely yeah, yeah. so yeah. from 13 to marriage about how long did that take um, uh, we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. Okay. All right. Yeah. And when you got married, did you want to start having a family pretty quickly or what did that look like? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to start having a baby like right away. Like we started the baby making business, like mm-hmm. pretty much instantly. Yeah. 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 That was, that was my goal. Um, uh, that was actually, um, that didn't go as planned, to be honest, Carly. Okay. <laughs> we, had a, we had a hard time getting pregnant, and um, it was kind of stressful in our marriage. It was literally like a few days before we were scheduled to see a fertility specialist, but um, I found out I was pregnant, and that's, that's when my journey as a mom kind of started, I guess. Yeah, I think for most women, you just think that's going to come so easily, um, uh, infertility is not something women ever really expect to have to deal with. So that can definitely be stressful. So you finally, you find out that you're pregnant and tell me about that excitement. Cause there is nothing quite like that. I was thinking even yesterday when I found out that I was pregnant with, with my firstborn, my son, I, I mean, it was just this 
incredible feeling of emotion and excitement and tell me how you felt. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's a feeling like, like nothing like mm-hmm. you could ever imagine, you know, like there's this life growing inside of you. And, um, I, I loved pregnancy. Honestly, I loved it. Um, I know a lot of women like to complain and there's a lot of like negativity around, you know, you, you gain weight and all this stuff. But, um, I, I loved feeling that life inside of me. I loved growing a baby bump and yeah, it was just, it was a wonderful time being pregnant. I loved it. So your whole pregnancy went pretty flawlessly. Um, pretty much. Um, the only bump I had along the way was a scare at 28 weeks and I was hospitalized. Um, it was then that they discovered Ava was having something called PACs, um, or premature atrial contractions of the heart. And I think that was one of those defining moments in my life when I realized that, um, stuff had gotten real. Like the idea that something could ever be wrong with my baby had never crossed my mind. Right. Uh, hit like a ton of bricks and these are the kind of things that don't happen to you. You know, it's always... It's always, it's always someone, someone else. else. Yeah. 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 Truly. So um, at that point, that, what did they say were the risks? I mean, did they act like it was something pretty serious? Honestly, they, they, they said um, she'd probably outgrow them. Um, but just to be on the safe side, I was just transferred to um, a high-risk special pregnancy program um, at a hospital in Toronto. And the rest of my pregnancy, honestly, was more or less uneventful and everything was okay until I went into labor. Okay. And this is where your story gets really tough. So, um, tell us what happened when you, when you went into labor with Ava. Um, I woke up the morning of, um, Tuesday, April 14th, 2005. And, um, I noticed I had like a slight cramp in my stomach, but it was kind of gone in a matter of seconds. And I was off on that leave at this point. So I was just sitting um, in bed watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can remember when we actually did that and not stared at our phones. But yes, I know. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I remember I just, I felt another cramp again and like about five minutes had gone by, but they were just small twinges. Um, but they were, kind of coming like regularly every four or five minutes. And I thought that was really weird because my expectations of early labor were like contractions that were further apart and way more sporadic and like obviously painful, right? Yeah. And you don't really know with that first baby, even what a contraction is for sure. You're like, what is happening? Exactly. Right. Like I didn't even have Braxton Hicks contractions my whole pregnancy. So I was like, maybe this is what that feels like, you know? Yeah. Um, because he didn't hurt, and, like, I was 38 weeks, so I was like, i got to feel something at some point. Sure. But, so I didn't think I was in labor. Um, so I just decided to have a bath and see if that would, like, help, like, the crampiness, and it did. So um, at that point, I just remember trying to, like, blow dry my hair and put on makeup. And I know that sounds really vain. No, but, like, I was the same <laughs> way. It sounds so silly, but it's like, I've got to look good for my baby. <laughs> Right? Like, I'm giving myself a blowout and putting on makeup. Yes, So yes. I could roll up into the birthing unit, like Kim K or something. <laughs> oh, my God. I can totally relate. Was alive back then? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling so old these days. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, um, as of morning, 
went on, those twinges of pain started um, feeling a little different, like not painful, but just more like low guttural, like intensity, like something from deep inside. And um, that's when I decided I wanted my husband's support. So I called him and it would take him about an hour to come home from the city, from work. And I thought I could handle myself for an hour. Um, But that's when the contractions just started picking up really, really heavily. And um, I was just laying in bed and I, I don't know if I was just falling asleep or passing out between them, but I just remember kind of coming to and feeling really confused between them. Wow. Um, they were they were really intense and, and um, really, like, on top of each other, I guess. And Mark got home and timed one, and he, he I'd, at this point, I started vomiting from the pain. I'm sorry, that's probably really No, but, it um, was that intense. Yeah, um, and he called the hospital, and we still hadn't, uh, weren't making the requirements to go in. Like, I don't know if you remember that 411 rule where it's like contractions are like every four minutes apart for, for, for like an hour and they're a minute long each or something yes, like that. I forget yeah. the rule, but like it was nothing like that. Like mine weren't like that. And they just said, you know, if you want pain medicine, come in. But otherwise, you know, just keep breathing through them. Um, so we decided to go into the hospital and... I don't really remember the drive into the city that much, to be honest. I just know my husband was driving. Um, he felt like something was, wasn't right, too. And he was driving um, down the shoulder of the, the DVT, which is kind of like our freeway here, yeah. into the city. Um, and uh, I, when I got to the hospital, I was um, I was definitely in labor. Um, um, sorry. No, you're fine. Um. I know when we walked into triage and I just, I felt so relieved I was there for help because um, I wasn't feeling okay. And Mark had to leave to go to admitting. Um, and I just remember a nurse telling me to breathe, you know. Um, yeah. At this point, I was seven centimeters dilated and I still didn't have an epidural. Oh, and, that's uh, intense. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I asked for one, and they said the anesthetist was on the way. Um, I was hooked up to a heart rate monitor at this point, and I could hear Ava's heartbeat, and I remember finding that really comforting because this was the first time through everything that I had a chance to feel excited, you know, because I was sure. about to meet my baby, and yeah. um, <sighs> this really wasn't a labor. Like, you know, it's you just labor never goes as planned, but this was not what I was expecting. Um and then I started feeling sad because here I was, seven centimeters dilated, and I still hadn't even, like, had a moment of massage or, like, a gentle touch for my husband throughout my labor. You know, all those kind of things you think about when, yeah. you're, when you're pregnant, right? Yeah, and it wasn't like that um, at all. It was it was much more traumatic. and Yeah, like, there was a nurse trying to get an IV in me, and the anesthetist yeah. was actually in the room now. And um, anyway... I just remember a doctor coming into the room, and he's the reason I later found out that Eva was alive, um, born alive, actually. But um, he took charge of everything, and I just remember actually feeling a little delirious and screaming at him to get me like some pain relief. And he just looked at me with this intensity in his eyes, and he said, there's a line to draw between fetal well-being and my comfort right now. Yeah. And... Um, I'll never forget the look in his eyes, and he asked if my water had broke, and I said no. 
solid eight centimeters at this point. And um, I have some people holding me down, and Mark was screaming for someone to help me. And the doctor just said I could have my pain relief soon, and he needed to break my water. And I know when he did that, that that's when they discovered the meconium. Um, he put a heart rate monitor on Ava's scalp, and all I remember hearing is that's maternal. So, um, like, my heartbeat, not hers. And oh, gosh. And then an ultrasound machine, machine was rolled over, and... Someone yelled, that baby has no heartbeat. And then the next thing I heard was C-section stat. And Mark was screaming for someone to tell us what was going on. I have never been more afraid in my life. And oh, they were wheeling me away to the OR, and they wouldn't let Mark come with me. He later told me that a nurse took him aside and explained that alarm, alarm was about to go off and not to be afraid, but a whole bunch of doctors were about to come running on the hall. So, um, at this point, someone just held me down and held something over my face and told me I needed to breathe because I was hyperventilating and I needed to breathe for the baby. And, and um, then the world went black and I put on life support. And when I finally came to Ava, Ava was the one who was on life support. Could you even, and, and I, I imagine you couldn't even really process what was going on. I mean, it, that just sounds like like a horrible nightmare that, like it couldn't be real life. Were you just that's in funny. shock? That's funny you say that because that feeling in that moment um, when my husband told me that, that Ava was going to die. Um, oh, yeah, like I froze and... It felt like I was watching, like, this alternate reality. Yes. Um, like, it wasn't me. Like, nothing felt real. Sorry, real. Um, like, a complete detachment from reality. And, um, and, then, and then that feeling kind of goes away. And, like, the weight of, like, this horrible truth just sinks in. And there's pain. Like, obviously, like, when you're in labor or you stub your toe or whatever. But... But then there's pain, like, it's so crushing and so deep and so heavy. It's like Mount Everest on your chest, you yes. know? Yes. Um, it's like you'd take that physical pain over that emotional pain any day, probably. Exactly. Thank you. The physical versus the emotional pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ava was put on life support so that we had a chance to say goodbye. Um, she'd been without oxygen for too long. Um, so we learned that if she was going to die, she could die on a machine or take her last, last breath and die in, in our arms. And that's hands down one of the most difficult and traumatic things uh, I've ever been through. <laughs> seven hours. That's, that's how long we had with her. And, really? Um, seven hours? Most bittersweet seven hours of my life. I mean, they ended with my child, like, taking her last breath in my arms. <sighs> so that's what um, Eva's birth story looked like. <laughs> and you, you documented the, I mean, this, the YouTube video that went viral, I mean, it just, you can feel all of that emotion when you watch it. I mean, it's just all there. Your parents came too, right? To the hospital? Yeah, yeah. And were Mark's yeah. parents able to be there as well? 
They were, yeah. They were able to um, to be with her and, and meet Ava, you know, before she passed away, yeah. Yeah. How did, yeah. How did Mark hold up through all of this? He is an absolute rock. Um, he, he didn't falter. He, I mean, he was, he was crushed and he was broken and I know he was falling apart inside, but he, um, he, he was there for me in a way that I don't think you could ever ask a person, more of a person to do for you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, obviously there's a lot of support people that come by when you're in the hospital and a situation like this happens. And, um, everyone talked about how, how strong and how, um, how much love we seem to have for each other and how much, um, we were holding each other up through this and especially him holding me up. So, um, I think a lot of people really saw that, um, that side of our relationship too. And, and that's, that's kind of a nice memory, you know, to to, to know that people saw um, a wonderful side of our relationship and how great of a, a husband I had. Yeah. I've had, sorry, have. Have, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but probably even the more difficult pieces of your story come after, after you had to, I mean, I just can't even imagine all of the excitement, all of the preparation that goes into having a child and never, never in a million years do you think it's going to end like that. And then you have to go home and that's when you face like the real reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. Um, like, I guess I had been sharing my story online, so I had a really unique support network in place. Um, People from all over the world um, were, were were helping comfort me, and it was really touching. Um, and for the longest time, I really felt that sense of community. That's good because I, I think a um, lot of people don't even have that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like her, her loss was really tragic, obviously. Um, but the lives and paths that I crossed that I never, never would have. Um, you know, they're the kind of moments that really stay in your heart. And it's brought me a lot of comfort knowing that I was um, able to, to share her memory and help people her memory, you know, alive with that story. Yeah. But my public grieving really stopped there. And I, I really withdrew from my online presence because I I really needed to grieve privately. Um, yeah, because you, a lot of time. you did grieve pretty openly there for a while. I mean, you had your website. It was called untanglingknots.com, which uh, it just was so poetic. Everything you wrote. I mean, you're an incredible writer, and you could just feel your words. And I think that's why I was so drawn to it. You know, you just it just really touched people. But then all of a sudden, it was it was gone. So talk about that. Why did you feel like you wanted to withdraw? Um, well, thank you for, for, for saying that, by the way. That, um, that was really nice. You're um, I guess I'd spent a lot of time kind of going through the motions of grief. Sure. And it took me a long time to understand this and realize this. But I never 
um, worked through my feelings of grief, like mm. like really felt them, not not just kind of like look at them and sidestep around them, but uh, at risk of it kind of sounding like a cliche, like the only way out is through, you know? Yes. Um, and, and I guess for me, um, well, I guess I just, I feel grief is a really individual journey, you know, and it's not something that's going to look the same for everyone. Right. Like the seven stages, like mm-hmm. none of that made sense to me, or five, I don't even know what they are, but like none of that made sense to me. Um, I guess ultimately for me, um, my grieving process was finding healthy ways to cope and it just, grief will never really go away. It's, it's your new normal, you know? And yeah. It, it, there's this movie and um, it's one of the most profound movies I've ever watched. And at risk of spoiling such an impactful movie, um, you think you're watching this horror story all along. And at the end, you find out you're actually watching the story of this woman's grief like oh. unfold and manifest out of control. And it's so brilliant. I wow. mean, this whole movie, you're watching this monster haunt her and her son, and it's having like this impact on every aspect of their life, and it's tearing them apart. And suddenly in this twist, you realize this monster is her grief and how it's consumed her life. And that spoke to me. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's, what is that movie called? It's called <laughs> The Babadook. Okay. Um, and my husband actually calls my period the Babadook now. <laughs> that's what he calls everything that's scary. But, it's the Babadook. Um, but um, it, it's true. There's there's no way around grief. You have to you have to find ways to feed it and to work through it and to control it. And and that that movie is exactly exactly where grief goes if you if you don't get a handle on it. You know? Yes, absolutely. So, um, what were some ways that you started dealing with this grief? Uh, it's always changing and morphing over the years because, you know, we change and yeah. kind of go down different paths. But um, it always seems to come back to running and writing. Honestly, mm-hmm. these are the things where I just kind of get to escape for a little while. And Yeah, were you a runner at all before this happened? Because I noticed that online. I'm like, okay, she's running. And you would talk about literally like the impact of pounding the pavement and just, you know, pounding the grief out, really. <laughs> I guess sometimes I probably speak more metaphorically than I, than I even realize I am. But, yeah, um, I was not a runner, though. No, I um, I picked up running, honestly. Um, uh, after Ava passed away, there is... Um, uh, an opportunity to do a memorial run. And I thought, you know what, this is a good way to have a healthy way to cope with my grief. You know, I'll train mm-hmm. for my first 10 K and, and that's kind of where the running love story sort of started. Yeah. Um, during this whole time, how was your, this kind of a scaling back, but your relationship with Mark, it seems like this is one of those things it's, it makes you or breaks you. Was that, was it difficult on your relationship or did it kind of bring you guys closer together? Did you grieve differently? What did that look like? We both definitely had um, very different um, grief journeys. Yeah. Uh, but again, what we needed to, when we were in the hospital, um, I remember 
at one point we looked at each other because for some reason they like to point out that um, when a couple loses a baby, I forget the statistic, but it was something like 90% of families end up divorced. Wow. Um, really? I, I could be wrong. Like, it, but it was... Like, it was a I high percentage. Number, like, like, most people, like, you marriages just don't survive this kind of tragedy, you know? And Especially with I it remember, being your first, because then you don't even have, like, a couple doesn't have other children to kind of keep it right, together. Like, yeah. tie you to tie you together. Right. And, we just looked at each other and said, we are not going to let this break us. Yes. And we just made sure to, um, you know, give each other the space we needed, but make sure we were still going on that journey together, you know? Yeah. I hope, does that make sense? It does make sense. And I yeah. applaud you for being able to do that because that, it just seems like it would be tough on anybody. And I'm so glad that you guys were able to you know, be there for each other and not let it tear you apart. What role, and tell me if I'm wrong, but just from, you know, following you online, has food played a role in your grief process as well? <laughs> the, um, I guess it kind of goes along with the, you know, just sometimes when I, when I try and focus on things, I get like, I guess that's a way to... Um, sort of say when you're navigating grief, there can be a slippery slope of becoming like hyper obsessed with something, right? So like sure. the health journey, like I got like so obsessed with like weightlifting and running and like eating all the right foods and mm -hmm. so yeah, food and um, and like immersing myself in the kitchen and stuff like that definitely became um, just a healthy um, way for me to you know, keep my mind focused on, on better things in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you make a mean acai bowl. Like, you make beautiful food all the time. I'm like, <laughs> how does she do that? Bring it over. It looks so good. Um, so in talking about your, your journey through motherhood, you go through this traumatic, horribly traumatic experience, and you're working through the grief. And then at, at some point, you guys say, Let, let's try this again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to try having a baby right away. And, uh, I mean, I still hadn't even healed from, like, actually having surgery. Physically um, healed, yeah. Physically healed, yeah. But um, I don't, I'm sure you can relate to this, Carly, but as a woman, I feel like, like, like this innate sense that I'm, like, I, it's my job to be a mom. Like I yes. feel like I need to nurture and, and care. And I, I mean, I, I just, I wasn't giving up on that. And I really wanted to have another baby right away. And my husband, not so much. More um, fearful of what could happen. Very fearful. Um, fearful to the point of maybe not wanting kids almost like it was, yeah. it was, um, there was definitely a bit of a disconnect there for a while, but, um, Obviously, eventually, <laughs> we, we, we went on to have um, two, two more beautiful children. My, my poor son, he, he knows um, that his, um, his sister passed away, and um, he knows I've had a miscarriage before him, too. So um, he, he's had to carry, like, I guess I feel like the weight of that, you know, and that's a lot for a young boy to, yeah. to go through. But, but yeah, before... So I just I wanted to um, just really 
point that out and just really recognize that I I know um, his sense of maturity and his and his level of maturity hasn't hasn't been easy for him to you know kind of come to terms with these things like just came to my mind and he asked one day if if um, Ava hadn't died would he have ever been born oh wow wow and that kind of insightfulness yeah um, it just it took my breath away and how do you answer that absolutely no so when you had Nate did that fear set in that something is going to go wrong or were you able to fully enjoy that I think like I had a lot of um, nerves and a lot of concerns, but um, I was also being followed again um, under a special pregnancy program under the head of maternal fetal medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, and I felt confident that I was being well cared for and that everything that could be done was being done to make sure I had a, a healthy and uneventful pregnancy. So from that perspective, um, it was it was um, scary, but again, I felt okay. Yeah, you knew you were under the best medical care possible, and you just had to yeah. trust that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I just had to trust it. I had to trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what was it like to finally be able to take home this healthy baby? It's like you finally get to have it look like how it's supposed to look. <laughs> the um, the most amazing thing with um, finally being able to, to hold Nathan, um, because he, he did end up in the NICU for three days. He, um, he was... Um, he had some breathing problems when he was born, and um, the day I finally got to hold him, it was three days later. It was Christmas Day. Oh, so he felt like that was the first time I'd held him, and like it kind of felt like a Christmas miracle. Like it sounds so cheesy, but it was absolutely one of the most magical moments of my life. Just holding that tiny little baby in my arms. Yeah. And that had to have been so healing, I would think. Just, you know, having that baby had to play uh, a role in you getting through your grief. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of closure, you know, where, where your family is, is growing and you, can, and, and you can continue to find other ways to, you know, be happy. and Yeah. Um, having my child, like a, a child in my arms like that and, and nurturing him, it, it, I felt like I finally arrived, you know, like I was a mom, like this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, sure. uh, yeah. That's amazing. And then there is quite a gap between him and, and your daughter. What did that journey look like? Um, yeah. I think for the longest time, uh, we were happy coasting with our life, you know, like yep. we didn't want to rock the boat. Um, things were, things were going really well in our marriage. And, um, at one point we're just like, you know what, let's have another baby. And, uh, and we did. And yeah, they're seven years apart, but, um, little Miss Amelia, she's been, um, she's been another little, 
journey, if, if we could call it that. Um, she's given us quite a few little scares along the way, but yeah, maybe she's that's had, a story so, for another day. <laughs> doesn't she have a celiac disease or she has some, some limitations with what she can eat, right? Um, for the longest time, doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. She spent the first couple years of her life in and out of the kids in Toronto seeing all these different specialists, like mm-hmm. neurologists, and um, she uh, she was actually called a medical mystery. Like, it, it was kind of a, yeah, it was a, she couldn't walk. Um, and uh, her, she does have um, uh, celiac disease, but... Um, it's been a bit of a different uh, healing journey with her, sort of, um, and that's kind of also where the food situation came into play. Um, she's been sort of done uh, her own little healing journey. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But she's doing fantastic now, and she's just she's just full of energy, and I can't even keep up with her. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in kind of getting back to the grief process, I remember one thing you talked about online was, people's reaction to you um after after Ava was born when you would go out into public like people didn't know what to say right did you encounter that a lot did people say things that upset you or they didn't know what to say what was that like I think at first it was really hard because everything felt triggering you know yeah um you know, like that, uh, when people say, you know, so how many kids do you have? And you still get that question probably and don't know how to answer. Yeah. (laughs) That one's tricky because like you want to honor this child that's not with you, but at the same time, it's, it's a story that, you know, you can't just bring up and kind of drop on someone too. So there came the point where um, I actually just started saying I have two kids and privately um, I know that's not true, but um, I've found a way to feel okay to actually just say it like that now. It wasn't worth the conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. How has your grief kind of ebbed and flowed through the years? I mean, it's been, it's been 14 years now. Is that, is it getting easier or, or does it just kind of come and go? What does it look like? Um, I think, I guess if I'm trying to sort of summarize, like how it's looked for, you know, the past 14 years, it's really become the journey of self-discovery. Um, I, I'd never say my life turned out the way I planned, but um, it's definitely been a journey that's been pretty um, enriched, I guess you could say, with the connections I've made um, through through writing online and um, you know the people I've I've met, and and as difficult as it is to say, I, I just I don't think I'd be the woman I am today without the experiences that I've been through. Um, and, this, and, that, and I guess that kind of sounds really tragic to say, but... Well, no, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's, in, in a <laughs> way, it's, I think that you can have beauty and tragedy in the same space, if that makes I sense. 
Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's just been like this crazy journey of self-discovery. Yeah, like it's you really learn a lot about yourself, and um, it's not easy, but it is empowering. You know, you do you do come out more resilient, and um, and I'm I'm actually grateful for that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And your kids, both of them, are, they're fully aware of, of what happened and that they have a sister that passed away. I mean, is that still pretty present in your lives? Yeah. Um, it's not something that we talk about all the time. Um, it comes up, you know. Yeah. Um, for, with my son, he's older now, so it's, it's, the conversations are a little deeper. Um, for my daughter, it's... I, I don't think she quite grasps the whole situation yet, but she does know she has a sister. Yeah. I noticed online that you said you have this kind of reoccurring dream about Ava. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's autumn in the dream and um, she's um, in a forest and she's, surrounded by like the most beautiful fall scenery and the colors are just so vibrant and the dream is just it's always unchanging I'm I'm I'm, like always watching her from behind and she's like skipping ahead of me and like her little pigtails are bouncing and Mm. I don't know where she's going but Mm. she's she's happy and, and everything looks really bright and she never turns back to acknowledge me in the dream and I can never see her face I just I'm just watching her, like, scamper off and disappear into the trees, and, and then there's, like, silence. And, and then in that moment, I feel this overwhelming sense of lightness and hope, and I, I can't really comprehend it, you know? But yeah, it's strange because even though I never see her face in the dream, it's just she's on this path, and it looks so bright and so vibrant. And as weird as that sounds, I just... I find it comforting, like her light sure. never sleeps, you know? It's, yes. Um, I'll, I'll never stop searching for glimpses of her light, you know? And, and yeah. I, I know she isn't physically here with me, but every now and then um, I, I feel little pieces of her in my day, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. What would you say to someone who is going through the grief process, uh, maybe a similar situation like yours, what advice would you give them? I think the most important part for me was um, learning to actually go through your grief. Um, Because it's really easy when, when you're, when you're, going through a tra- tragedy to just kind of go through the motions of it, you know? It's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be sad. Yeah, I'm supposed to be angry. But if you don't learn to actually feel those emotions and, and cope with those emotions, um, like in a healthy way, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it, it can be a really um, slippery slope. And and if you don't work through those those feelings... I guess what I'm trying to say is um, you can, I guess the most important part for me was learning how to um, actually 
field my emotions um, rather than just kind of go through the motions of grief. So just to really work through um, all the different feelings and to feel them all and to, and to make sure that, um, you know, and just kind of sit there and, and, and sit with those feelings for a while and just and feel them and feel how uncomfortable it can be and just know that you can get through it. Yeah. And you do. And you yeah. do. You do come out on the other side and, and there's still so much joy in life, you know, and it, it, it does get better. It really does. One thing that I've always thought, and maybe I'm wrong, because even though I've, you know, I've experienced grief in various ways, I, I went through a divorce and I've had job changes and stuff like that, but nothing like what you've gone through. But from my experience with grief, I feel like we shouldn't put some timeline on it per se I, I guess I hate it when people will say like you should be over it by now <laughs> it's like well oh. you know I, I it, it's your own unique journey and yes we do need to move forward in life and get through it and find joy again but I think you know we need to be patient with ourselves in going through grief you know Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think I just stopped even tuning in to when, you know, that, oh, time heals all wounds or yeah. like, yeah. You, you should be over it by now. Like I just, because you can't put a time on this. You just, you're right. It's, it's such an individual journey. And yeah, those things are really infuriating to hear, honestly. Speaking of things that are infuriating to hear, is there any advice you would give to people on the outside? Because I think people mean well, they do, but yeah, are there things that people should not say to someone that is grieving? I guess I would kind of turn that around now um, because and say you can't really control what other people are going to say. So for me, what's helped is just feeling like I know people are, are coming in with, you know, good intentions and no one is trying to say something that's hurtful. Um, so I've just been a little bit more accepting, I think, of um, and open to how other people try and be helpful. And it's just, it's, it's hard to know what to say when someone's suffering, you know? Yeah. It's just, it is. It is. Yeah. And I, I think even just as of recent, I've, I've recognized that sometimes there are there are not any right words to say, and so sometimes we need to just sit with people in their grief and let them know that we're we're there and that we care. But there aren't any magical words to take their pain away, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just knowing someone is there for you is sometimes all you need to know, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just I just want you to know that you have had such an impact on on my life, you and your story in just little ways um, over the last 14 years. I will never, ever forget your daughter. I don't know how I stumbled upon that YouTube video and stumbled upon your website. I, I don't know, but I just I think about it all the time and it's made me so much more grateful as a mother to just have healthy kids. And, um, I think you're just, you, I know that we've never met, but I just think you seem like such an incredible woman and an incredible mother and wife. And, um, 
I tell you, if you ever find yourself in Idaho, you better look me up. And if, oh, you if, know I will. <laughs> if I ever come to Canada, I'm going to hunt you down. So um, I just want you to know that your story has made a difference. And um, thank you so much for being willing to share. Well, thank you for letting me have this opportunity to to share Ava's story. Um, it's been trying to go over the things that um, we we were talking about today. It's actually been very therapeutic. So um, it's been a lot of memories that have come up, and and um, it's it's thank you, Carly. It's it's been it's been really good. It's if, been good for me to do this, so thank you. If people want to um, stalk you online, <laughs> do you mind? Do you, <laughs> you want to throw out your stuff? I know you have a website, and you do have um, great tips with running and food, and, and you're just kind of fun to follow. So where can people find you, if that's okay? Um, mostly I just, I'm just being my goofy self on Instagram these days. and um, But you can... Carla Cato. If you Google it, it's not too hard to find me. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, um, and then you have a, a website under your name as well, right? CarlaCado.com. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's K-A-R-L-A-C-A-D-E-A-U. So. That's me. Yep. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and share your story. Thank you, Carly. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.